Hello Saints, Todd here with SafeguardYourSoul.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are so blessed to have these moments together in the Word of God. And remember, Saints, there's nothing, there's nothing, no thing happening on God's planet that is even remotely as important as the work of the gospel and feeding the sheep of Jesus Christ for whom he died to save so that they can grow in grace, they can be edified, they can be equipped for the work of the ministry according to the scriptures. And let me just guarantee you this one thing, by the grace of God, this outreach will continue to unapologetically endeavor to preach the whole of the word of God, regardless of who gets offended or not in Jesus name. And please remember that your prayers and support are vital to this operation. Thank you. This morning I had a pastor call me and he was going to be doing some uh, being used of God to do some ministry to God's people. And he announced his own poverty, if you will, of spirit and that he doesn't have anything to give to the sheep of the Lord unless God, who is Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep, Hebrews 13, 20, would, would minister through him. And so this is a man who is learning to deny himself and take up his cross and follow Jesus, which means he's setting himself aside. He's crucified with Christ. He's one with Christ, not only in the power of his resurrection, but also in the fellowship of his sufferings. Got to suffer. We have to follow Christ and suffer the death of the body, if you will, the death of the sinful deeds of the body the self-will, etc., and all that is involved in self in order that the resurrection life of Christ might be resident in us. God only raises up those that be bowed down. Psalm 145, verse 14. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. See, there's the death and the burial and the resurrection right there. It's all over Scripture. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. As we read in the definition of the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, there can't be a resurrection, though, until there is first a submitting to the death. Jesus had to choose to obey his father, go to the cross. And that's what happened in Gethsemane when he said, not my will, but thine be done. As he sweat great drops of blood and greatly agonized in the garden of Gethsemane, Luke 22. Now, the scripture tells us that Jesus had a will right there because it says Jesus himself said, not my will. Jesus had a will, just as you and I do. This has to be something that's a free will offering to the Lord. This is a volitional thing, even as all things with God are. Love is not love if it's forced. God is love, and he's not going to force you to do. He didn't, the Father didn't force you. Jesus had a will, and he, anybody who denies that's denying the scriptures and denying the Lord. Okay, I had a lady emailing me recently, and this lady says, we have no free will. Really? I said, ma'am, did you freely choose of your own will to email me? I mean, I, I, and then I gave her scripture after scripture. Did God make you email me? <laughs> It's, you know, somebody wrote a book recently. I don't know who it was. It's a, and I don't mean to be rude, but the title of their book was Arguing with Idiots. And I, that's how I felt like. I mean, what, these, it's almost like somebody said, you're not breathing. And they're trying to convince me that I'm not breathing and I, I'm, I'm not alive. <laughs> 
Anyway, I, I don't know what else to say. Once you give people scripture and they, they refuse to hear it, I don't know what else to do. So anyway, we've got to choose. We have free will. God gave us free will. Choose you this day whom you will serve. That's Joshua, a man of God, saying, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will to serve the Lord. We choose to serve the Lord. Joshua 24, 15, Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, God says to his own people, I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that you may live. He didn't make them choose life. He instructed them to, encourage them to, and told them that it was going to bear life. Romans 6.16 is another scripture that makes it very obvious that in our walk with God, after we're apprehended of the Lord, that we still have free will. It says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Galatians 6, verse 7 and 8. Another example of our free will that God has sovereignly, if you will, gave us. It says, God is not mocked. Know ye not that God is God is not mocked whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. God gave us the ability to sow and reap. Everything we do, if we sow to the flesh, we're going to reap corruption. If we choose to sow to the Spirit, we're going to reap life everlasting. There's a myriad of other verses. Here's another one. The Calvinists love to, to cite John chapter 1, verse 13, but they uh, totally ignore, as is typical Calvinistic tactic, they ignore the verse before it. Verse 13 says, which were born. Who, who's he talking to? Well, we're going to read about that in verse 12 in just a minute which were born not of a blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. They say salvation is all of the Lord. Well, it sure is in the sense that he's the one that initiated it. He's the one that accomplished it through his own blood. But that doesn't mean it doesn't involve the free choice of the individual. Look at verse 12. Who's he talking to? He's talking to those that received him, those that chose to receive him. He came unto his own, verse 11, his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. It's a choice. Then it says, which were born, uh, born again, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Those that chose to receive Christ, those that today choose to receive Christ initially and continue to abide in Christ, which means you continue to choose Christ every day, they're going to be blessed by the power of God, not by the, the might of their flesh, but not by might or power, but by his spirit, saith the Lord. Now, so we're talking about the cross in our daily life. We're talking about the sufficiency of God in each believer. The apostle Paul, in his great trial of the thorn of the flesh said the Lord actually spoke to him and says my grace is sufficient for thee and my strength is made perfect in your weakness that's the revelation we need from the scriptures is that God's strength in us is going to be made perfect only when we're weak in ourselves 2nd Corinthians chapter 12 verse 9 and 10 and he said unto me Jesus said to Paul it's in red letters he said this my grace this is when Paul had the thorn in the flesh doesn't matter what it is it caused grace suffering. We know that. My grace is sufficient for thee. And don't you know God's grace is fully sufficient for every one of us. And that's why we need to pray that he'd multiply his grace in us according to 2 Peter 1, 2. And also that our hearts would be established with his grace. Hebrews 13, 9. I want you to write these scriptures down and go back and study them. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace, he tells Paul, Jesus says, is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect. When is God's strength made perfect? In weakness. That 
That's when God's strength is made for full strength. That's when it's made perfect, is in our weakness. Just as when Jesus chose to be weak in himself, he set his will, he chose to be weak in himself and suffer the death of the cross to redeem us. That's when the Father raised him up. The pastor that called this morning was denying himself, taking up his cross, and trusting in the perfect strength of God by becoming weak and not imagining in his own mind that he was sufficient to feed the flock of God that God has sent him as an overseer over. But no, he rather became weak that the strength of God, the divine strength of the Lord would move in him and work in him to bless those people because they are not his people, they're God's people. And this is the life that Paul lived. As we see in 2 Corinthians 4, 10 and 11 and 12, he says, always Paul was always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. That's how the life of Jesus is the strength of the life of Jesus is made perfect, if you will, and manifest in our mortal flesh is when we're delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. And that when we're always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, we're sentencing a daily are sentencing ourselves to death. Second Corinthians one nine. Paul said that he sentenced himself, he had the sentence of death in himself, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead. God will raise those who die. God will raise again those who die to self. Those who say, I'm not sufficient, they announce their own poverty and cry out to God, hungering and thirsting and depending on Him. That's what true faith is, trusting God, not thinking you can do these things yourself, because it's only God that can do God's work. And He's only going to do that in those who become weak in themselves. They wave the white flag and say, Lord, I'm not sufficient. Your grace is sufficient for me. And thank you that your strength is made perfect in my weakness. Amen. Verse 12 of 2 Corinthians 4. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. It's real simple. When death to self works in you, God's life is going to work in you and through you to others. He says here, my grace, Jesus told Paul, is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I uh, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul is one, as my friend Chad recently pointed out, that learned how to glory in tribulations like no other man in history. He learned to glory in tribulations. We see that throughout the New Testament. He learned to glory in his tribulations, knowing that the, the strength of God was greater and was going to bring forth resurrection power to redounding to the glory of God. Let me read it again. Most most gladly, therefore, knowing that God's strength is made perfect in our weakness, Paul says, most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities. He counted them as a blessed opportunity. Most gladly, he's most joyfully, therefore, going to glory in, in, in his infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Because he knew that the more he suffered, the deeper he died, the deeper these tribulations and circumstances put him down under, the greater the power power of Christ that was going to rest upon him. Verse 10, therefore I take pleasure in infirmities. There it is again. Not only is he most glad about them and glory in them, but he took pleasure in his own infirmities. 
He was very forthright about this. In reproaches, you know, people attacking him, persecuting him. In necessities, being in lack, not having daily necessities. We're starting to get more and more of that experience over here ourselves. In necessities, you really have to trust God. And anyway, in persecutions and distresses, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then am I strong. When I am weak, then am I strong. I want you to listen to those words and let them resound in your mind and heart. And go into Second Corinthians 12, read the chapter, and, and learn of the Lord. When we're weak, then are we strong. And this pastor that called this morning, because he wanted to, uh, us to join together in agreement and prayer, that God's strength was going to be in him, that, that God's going to We prayed for the people, most of all. We also prayed for him to be anointed to die, because if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God, Romans 8, verse 13 and 14. See, if you, by the Spirit, through the Spirit, through the power of the Holy Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. we got to pray for each other in that matter. Next time you pray for a brother or sister, pray that God will anoint them to the burial of self. According to Romans 8, 13, that, that if you, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. My friend Travis Bryant always says that the Holy Ghost, he talks about the killing power of the Holy Ghost. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Amen? See, God's grace is certainly sufficient. There's no question there. Yet, he only chooses to show himself strong in the behalf of those who admit their own insufficiency and announce their own weaknesses, their, their own poverty, their own infirmities. Then is his power made perfect. Then is his strength made perfect. Then the power of Christ can rest upon us. There can be, as we said earlier, there can be no resurrection until the person, the individual, chooses freely of a free will offering to the Lord out of his love and obedience to the Lord. He chooses freely to die. There's got to be a death and a burial before there can be a resurrection. First Corinthians 15, 36 says, Thou fool, that which thou sowest or plant is not quickened or made alive, except it die. Whatever you sow is not going to be made alive unless it first die. Paul makes his point very strongly. He says, Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. Jesus said, Except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. John 12, 24 and 25. But if it dies, what happens? It brings forth much fruit. That's John 12, 24. And verse 25 says, He that loveth his life shall lose it. He that those that love, the individual that loves his life in this world is going to lose it. Okay, it's guaranteed. If you love your life, beloved, you're going to lose it. You're going to lose your soul. You might gain this whole world, but you're going to lose your soul eternally. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. You got to choose to hate your life in this world and understand what that means. Many today are intoxicated with the false grace message and they relish God's grace or what they think is his grace while they refuse to become weak like Paul's talking about, to die to self, to announce your own poverty. They don't want to die and that's why they adopt and migrate to false teachings like once saved, always saved and once in grace and always in grace. All of these foolish, unbiblical heresies. They don't want to die to self. They don't want to hear that they have to die. So they're rejecting Christ. They're not rejecting us that are preaching the truth. They're rejecting Jesus Christ, the one they actually claim to be serving. But they're going to be the ones that he says, depart from me, you work of iniquity. I never knew you. And also in Luke 13, 27, I believe it is, I know you not. At the judgment, Jesus is going to say, I know you not whence ye are. I don't know you where you are. You died in sin. You died loving this world, loving your life in this world. You died minding the things of this world. Your God was your 
your belly. You were an enemy of the cross of Christ. You did not want to die to death. You refused to be a seed that was sown in the ground and died so that I could raise you up, not only in your earthly life to uh, bear fruit, much fruit, more fruit, much fruit, all of that in John 15, but also to raise you up eternally into the new Jerusalem, resurrect you into the new Jerusalem. You refused the cross. You lived a crossless life. Friend, most, most of the so-called gospel that's being preached today is a false gospel. It's another gospel. How do we know that? One of the ways we know that is it does not elevate not only the propitiatory grace of God through the blood of Jesus on his cross, the blood of his cross, but also that daily cross that this same propitiating Savior, if you will, commanded that if you're going to follow him, you got to die. Jesus came to the earth to go to the cross and die. That's how you follow him. You decide that you're going to set yourself aside. You're going to deny yourself. You're not going to esteem yourself and try to relish yourself and live for the certain feeling of security. No, it's not about your security as much as it is about truth. And then God will give you the true security because great peace have they that love thy law, thy word, the truth, and nothing shall offend them. The Bible says, there is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. There's no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. Isaiah 57, 21. So you may think you're saved and it's secure and have no peace deep inside, but and you're not going to have any because you're wicked in the eyes of God. You're trying to avoid and evade the cross. You're trying to circumvent going to the cross and being crucified with Christ and truly living unto the Lord by cloaking yourself with the false religion of once saved, always saved, eternal security and all that foolishness. That is a false grace message. The Bible says in Titus 2, 11 and 12, that the grace of God, if you have it, is saving grace of God. And you can't be saved outside of the grace of God. If you have it, it's teaching you something. And that's to deny. It's the cross right here. To deny ungodliness and worldly lust. To deny ungodliness and worldly lust. And to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. See? You don't have the cross. You don't have the grace of God. If you're not learning to deny ungodliness, and what I, I, I understand that none of us have hit the mark 24-7 since we've been saved, but this is a new day. You can't cloak yourself with a false teaching that you're somehow arbitrarily or indelibly in God's hand and that there's nothing you can do that can get yourself out of his hand and that you don't have to follow him and abide in him and that no sin you could commit would separate you from That is baloney. That's against all of the scriptures. That's a foolish lie. And a lot of people have bought into it and it's a heart matter. They don't want the personal responsibility of denying themselves, taking up the cross and following Jesus. They don't want to die. They're crossless. They want the crown, but they don't want the cross. Give me the heavenly crown, but I don't want the cross. That's, that is going to end up in hell, guaranteed on the authority of God's word. So many today, again, are intoxicated with this false grace message, which the Bible tells us would come. In Jude, verse 3 and 4, we're warned that the false prophets, these evil men, these, quote, ungodly men, coming in the name of the Lord, but not with his fruit, the fruit of pure doctrine, are going to turn the grace of God into lasciviousness or a license for sin. And that is the end product of this foolish reform theology, Calvinism. It turns the grace of God into lasciviousness. It doesn't matter if that's what their intention is in teaching it. It still does it. And that's what the Bible says. It says in Jude, verse 3, 4, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares. They're right in our midst. They're wolves, yet they don sheep's clothing. They're crept in unawares. Who were before of old ordained to this condemnation? Ungodly men. Who are the ungodly men? Here they are. Turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. A license for sin. That's the end 
end product of all Reformed theology, all of Calvinism, all of the once saved, always saved cliche myth, and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to verse 5. I mean, get your ears open. I will therefore put you in remembrance. Jude is bringing us in remembrance, though, of how God dealt with others in the past that did the same thing. Though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believe not. He brings us back in the remembrance of how God led his people out of Egypt through the miracle of the Red Sea, which represents salvation in Christ. And then later, he destroyed those of his own people that believe not. And here's another example, verse 6. He goes into another historical example. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation. He had reserved in everlasting change under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Remember, Lucifer, uh, who's now called Satan, and one-third of the angels did not keep their first estate. They did not stay with the Almighty, uh, whose grace they abode in in heaven, whose blessing, who under whose wing they trusted and worshipped. No, they turned against him and they departed, and they're forever vanquished and under his condemnation. Then he goes into Sodom and Gomorrah and many other examples. This is right here in the book of Jude. Oh, yeah. And this right here is one of literally thousands of death nails to all of Calvinism and all that it embodies, all of its lies, all of its errors. It's real simple. They don't want to take up the cross, and therefore they never will experience a true grace of God that teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust in this present life. And if you are not learning the cross every day, if you're not learning to, because the grace of God is teaching us, to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, to live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world, and then verse 13, looking for the, this is Titus 2, looking for that, that blessed hope, that's the return of Christ, that blessed hope, and glorious appearing, there it is, he's coming, of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, why did Jesus give himself for us? That he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Jesus didn't come to give you a license for sin, so that you can live in it and think you're going to his holy heaven. Paul said in Romans 6, 1 2, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, he answers the question that he asked. God forbid that you think you're going to continue, as a believer, continue in sin, not abiding in Christ, and that grace, saving grace, is going to abound toward you in salvation, eternal salvation. It's a complete lie. Once saved, always saved is a lie. You're not once saved, always saved. You're saved initially, and you got to endure to the end, abiding in Christ, or you're going to hell. And it's worse for you than if you'd never gotten saved. Second Peter 2, 20-22. The Bible says, In him, in Jesus, is no sin. And whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. If we're abiding in Christ, we're not living in sin. If we're abiding in Christ, which is a must, then we are not living in sin. John 15, he says, If you don't abide in me, I'm going to take you away, and you're going to be thrown into the fire. You're going to be cut off and thrown into the fire. Argue with Jesus if you want. John 15, 5, I am divine, you are the branches. He that abideth or remaineth in me, remains in relationship with me. And you can't live in relationship with Jesus and be living in sin. It's impossible. Uh, Jesus himself said, no man can serve two masters. You leave the love one and hate the other, or vice versa. I am divine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Verse 6, if a man abide not in me, is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. So if you don't abide in him, you're going to be burned. And that means eternal damnation in hell. So we're talking about the grace of God. It's only as we're weak that his grace becomes sufficient and strong and made strong in us. As we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, God's only going to resurrect us with his power and grace as we become weak in ourselves. This is the cross intertwined throughout all of Holy Scripture. It's written in different ways, but it's the same message at 
the Lord is trying to imbue us with. And well, I just pray right now that every one of us listening will begin to learn to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Jesus, that God would bless us to be conformed to the image of His Son, that God would anoint us with His Holy Spirit and the killing power of the Spirit, that, so that the sinful nature and the, the deeds of the body would be subdued, and that we, through the Spirit, would be able to be blessed to mortify the deeds of the body as we follow Christ. But you're going to have to humble yourself and submit yourself to God and submit yourself to the cross. It's not a, you know, a lot of people hear about the cross. They don't want to hear this kind of preaching. As the Bible said, they wouldn't. Heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. That means they're going to reject people that preach the truth and that preach the cross. Just like Jesus was rejected, 5,000 people rejected him. 5,000 men, not counting women and children, rejected him when he preached and only 12 men stayed behind. Think about those percentages. That's in John 6. They don't want the true grace of God. There's many today are gonna, that are heaping to themselves teachers because they have itching ears. They don't want to purge the rest of their hearts. They don't want to repent. They don't want to deny themselves, take up the cross and follow Jesus. Well, praise God for the true remnant and that's those that are taken root downward, and therefore God's raising them up to bear fruit upward. Isaiah 37, 31. Only those that take root downward are going to be blessed to bear fruit upward, and those who are identified as God's remnant. Isaiah 37, 31. See, those that refuse to become weak will never experience the overcoming grace of God, without which they cannot please the Lord, and they cannot enter into the pearly gates. So, God would has called us to be crucified with Christ, to die the death, and this is essential to the grace-filled resurrection life that Christ has ordained that we walk in. And I, I want to say a prayer here before we close. I want to just pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask you to bless us to learn, Lord, we don't know. We we come unto thee, O Jesus. We we come to you, Lord, according to your own beckoning for us to come to you. We labor and we're heavy laden, O God, and we need to rest in you, surrender our lives to you, admitting and acknowledging that we are not sufficient in ourselves. There's no good thing not one good thing that dwells in us outside of you. We cry with Paul, who is it that will deliver me? Oh, wretched man that I am, who is it that will deliver me from the body of this death? Romans chapter 7, verse 18 and 24. God raise you up. God bless you to die the death, to lay down your life, to lay, to deny yourself, to take up your cross, and to follow Jesus, and that the resurrection life of the Holy Ghost of God, Jesus and I am the resurrection life, would raise you up daily to bear fruit, more fruit, and much fruit for His eternal glory and for your blessing and for the blessing of those God's going to use you to reach in Jesus' name. Well, brothers and sisters, it's been a blessing to spend these moments with you in the Word of God. And remember, there's hundreds of more Christ-centered, Scripture-rich, edifying podcasts on safeguardyoursoul.com forward slash audios. There's also a store page with several, many books on there for your edification in Christ. They're all scripture rich and Christ centered. Also tens of thousands of saints and sinners are being reached every month and your prayers are coveted for the fruitfulness and supply of this outreach. God be praised by the way for those who are supporting and feel free to visit our donate page on the site and you can use your debit card, PayPal or Patreon and you can become a monthly sustaining member if you choose to do so and a gift of any amount is so appreciated. Part of this outreach is to equip and supply other ministering disciples across our great country and all over the world. And may God be praised that there's fruitfulness happening among his people and through his beloved saints.
saints, as we know that the return of our Lord Jesus Christ draws nigh, and we say together in the words of Revelation 22, even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen.